The following is a sermon from Christ Memorial Church. We are a multi-site church in the St. Louis area. We are compelled by two words, loved and sent. We believe everyone is loved deeply by God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and everyone is sent with great purpose wherever they go. You can find out more about us at cmstl.org or reliantchurch.org. Enjoy the following sermon. Do you know what a coin funnel is? You ever seen one of these coin funnels? They're often used as uh, uh, fundraisers, really, for because uh, the coins end up being dropped in and they, they collect money for certain causes. But uh, I saw one last week at the Missouri Botanical Gardens, and you drop a coin in the slot, it falls down, it's released into the funnel, and due to the laws of physics, it, it balances on the edge and cycles around, it spirals around in a circle, progressively getting faster and faster, so it starts real wide on the outside of the funnel, and it works its way down, pulled by gravity, further and further, faster and faster, until finally, accelerated at the very end, it, plink, drops into the bucket below. And I find these just fascinating. It's like watching a campfire, and you just stare at it. The problem with this is it costs money, so every time you want to watch it, you just put more money in, but it's just, I just kind of sat there for quite a long time and, and watched this happen. Sometimes your life feels like a coin in a coin funnel, spiraling around in a dizzy motion. You're left powerless to control your direction. You're just subject to the laws of gravity and force, and you're pulled down. Sometimes life just accelerates faster and faster, and you're just helpless to do anything about it. And there are moments in your life where you feel like a coin. You, you realize your limitations, your, your lack of ability to change a, search, a situation or a, a circumstance. And it's normal to feel this way, to feel a sense of powerlessness, especially at certain times in our life. Because ultimately, there are really big things that we don't have control over. I'm going to give you some examples of where you might feel powerless. This is just a list. You are powerless when your body ages and declines. Anybody associate with that, if you're willing to raise your hand? You're powerless when you experience tragedy and you're left helpless. When you raise children who wander into trouble or dangerous situations. You're powerless when you can't gain financial security. You can't, you can't change your situation. You're powerless when you suffer from mental illness. When a loved one won't love you back. When tyrants abuse their positions of authority over you. When you're stuck in an unsatisfying job. When your mobility is limited. Or when you deal with a bully. These are all situations where you might find yourself powerless. And if you were to diagnose powerlessness, if it was diagnosable, there are symptoms that accompany it. And here's a list of some of the symptoms. So if you've ever experienced one of these symptoms, you've experienced a sense of powerlessness. You might feel weak, manipulated, incompetent, useless, hopeless, sick, Mournful, imprisoned, fragile, exploited, oppressed, 
Those are symptoms of being powerless in the face of a situation or a circumstance. And when we're faced with a sense of powerlessness, there are often two ways that we typically respond. One is to obsess and just try harder. The other is to despair and just give up. So when we're faced with a powerless situation, which we don't have control over, it's typical that we'll respond in one of these two ways, to obsess and just try harder, or to despair and give up. So to obsess means that when, when you're confronted and you have no power over something, you just say, well, doggone it, I'm going to try harder. And there's a place for fortitude and, and perseverance, but there's also a place which it pushes over and becomes obsession, which you just won't let it go. You work more, you try harder, you push through till it's an obsession. So a man works 80-hour weeks because he wants to make lots of money, because for him, money is power. Or a woman works out six days a week to sculpt her body obsessively, because for her, being attractive is power. Or a man manipulates relationships that he is in by holding the past and blackmailing people around him with the past, because for him, influence is power. All these ways are, are means by which we try to obsess and control our situations. But at the end of the day, the almighty dollar will disappoint, and youthful vigor will fade to frailty, and the bully will find himself all alone. All of the obsession doesn't change the fact that there are things that we are powerless to change. It doesn't matter how hard you work, there are certain things that you can't change. Another response is to despair, to just give up. So you've tried and tried and tried, and everything that you've done, it's still not enough. And so you say, why, why even go any further? You've, you've tried to change something, and you couldn't, and you know that you never will, and so you give up, and you become negative and pessimistic and hopeless. Regardless of how you respond to moments of powerlessness, whether obsession or despair, the fact of the matter is every one of us have bumped up against a situation where we've been shown our limitations. Moth and rust are really good proof that we have limitations of our power. There's a, we bump up against these things that we just can't change. You can't make someone love you. You can't, you can't make someone's heart love. You can't do that. You don't have power there. You can't make your body last. You, you can't ultimately change that. You can't fix every problem that exists. So what do you do in the face of powerlessness? Do you obsess and just try harder? Do you despair, just give up? God offers a response that is neither obsession nor despair. God's response to our powerlessness is a crown. A crown is a symbol of power, of authority, of dominion. And in relationship to Jesus, it means someone is in control. In relation to Christ, it means that Jesus Christ is the preeminent, supreme, manly, kick-butt ruler of the entire universe. The creed says as much, the ancient creed that Christians have spoken for generations says that he, on the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. 
and Christians have been speaking that for generations. It's the confession of a crown. The crown encompasses some really big stuff. It encompasses the resurrection, the ascension, the reign and the return of Jesus. It's a symbolic of all of those things in one. The resurrection, that a dead man came back to life again. The only one to have ever done that. The ascension, that he ascended to heaven to sit at God's right hand, which symbolically is the place of universal power and authority, where he reigns. But he's not just reigning, he will return on a final day. On a final day, he will come to set everything back right again, to usher in a new creation. So the crown is the summary of all of this powerful work of the king, the resurrection, ascension, reign, and return of Jesus. Now, this is a radical claim that Christians have declared from the beginning. That Jesus, the one who was crucified, and this is what's scandalous about it, is that the one who was crucified like a criminal is now king. That's what they claimed in the first century. This was a treasonous statement to the Roman Empire, and it got a lot of Christians killed to claim that that this man is the king and to claim that right now he is powerful over all things. Now, the interesting fact is that their claim in the first century is our claim also in the 21st century. We believe that at this very moment, Jesus stands as the preeminent ruler of the universe, that he wears a crown. Now, in in our day, in America, we, we probably won't be killed for that, but we will be called crazy. And if you're a Christian and you've never heard that before, you might want to think a little bit about it because uh, somebody might ask you, is Jesus a king? And uh, it's kind of a, a bold and scandalous statement that we believe right now at this very moment, in spite of everything that is going on in the world, that he stands as the preeminent ruler on a throne above all. He still is in control of all things. The crown means that there is a king and that this one, this Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified, is the king. John recorded the bold essence of this belief to a first century audience in the book of Revelation. Chapter 1, verse 5, he says this, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth. He is the firstborn of the dead. He's the first one ever to have died, but then come back to life again and stayed alive. He kicked death in the mouth. The one thing that haunts every human being, he defeated. And now he is the firstborn, the first one to ever have done this, the first of his kind. He stands now as a risen Lord, uh, rose from the dead, not as a zombie, a vampire, or, or, uh, or, or some sort of mummy, but he rose from the dead as a man alive in the fullest sense of the word, what it truly means to be alive. Not only has he risen from the dead, but now he stands, as John says, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Ruler of the kings on earth. Sometimes we think that Jesus is just in charge of kind of church stuff. He's the the, the ruler of the Christian church, or the president of all things spiritual, or the prime minister of dogma and doctrine. What John says is that Jesus is the king of all nations, of all kings, of all presidents and prime ministers. 
that he sits on a throne above Vladimir Putin, above Bashir al-Assad, that his reign extends over the caliph of the Islamic State and over the president of the United States. He stands supreme over every party and politic, over every uh, regime and system and scheme. He stands as king. And he makes this declaration in verse 8. He speaks himself, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is, the, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Alpha and the Omega are the Greek letters A and Z, so it's A to Z and everything in between. He stands as the one who supersedes all things. And there's this mantra throughout the book of Revelation, who is, who was, who is to come, who is, who was, who is to come. He spans past, present, and future. In a world of powerless things, in a world of transient things that are always changing, there is one who stands above them all and outlasts them all. You know the Jesus who was born in a manger, the cute baby. You know the Jesus who suffered on a cross. But do you know the Jesus who wears a crown? Jesus is not in a manger anymore. He's not a cuddly baby anymore. Jesus is not on the cross anymore. All of our crosses are empty for a reason. But right now, this very moment, he wears a crown. And he tends to the world's affairs. This can be a bold and maybe an overwhelming belief and statement that we believe in this worldwide king. Uh, quite honestly, it can be intimidating, uh, even scary or crushing, especially in our day and age, in our modern culture, where there's a resistance to power and authority because we've seen it abused. So our elected officials who hold authority and power in our country have right now about the lowest approval rating they could possibly have. Uh, we have kind of this resistance to power and authority because we've seen it abused. This is a different kind of power that comes uh, not to manipulate or to bully, but we see in Scripture that the power of Jesus comes and is born out of love, not selfish gain. And you need a love that has some power, that has some muscle. We have enough love in the world that is fluffy, that is weak, that is neutered, but this is a love that has some grit and some strength when you see it coupled with power, with a crown. And so, the Apostle Paul was in a powerless situation. Here's an example. He's in a powerless situation. He has a, suffered from a physical malady. And he's pleading with his Lord. And the Lord responds to him and says, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Which is to say that the king comes with power not to beat you up, but to lift you up when you're crushed. The king comes with power for those who are weak. He comes with a crown for those who need an authoritative presence. He comes with a crown to be in control where you aren't in control so that you don't have to obsess or despair because you have one who comes in power that is born out of love. It's a different kind of power, a different use of authority that we see from this one. Okay, preacher, why does this matter? Um, so what? Jesus wears a crown. He's king. So what? I was sitting next to the 
coin funnel at the Missouri Botanical Gardens and uh, just obsessed like a little kid just watching the thing spin around, watching other kids spend their money on it so I didn't have to drop any coins in it. And this five or six-year-old comes up and he's very excited, wide-eyed. He declares to everybody who's in earshot, when I was little, he says, which means two weeks ago, when I was little, I'd reach my hand down and I'd grab the coin before it dropped in the, in the bucket, which is to say that he cheated the system. He would grab it and then, and then do it all over again and, and save a little money. He's a shrewd, shrewd little kid. And the only way, if you're a coin spinning around in this spiral, you're subject to gravity and subject to the laws of physics. And the only way that you can be prevented from dropping into that bucket is for a hand to come down and pluck you out. The only way for the coin's destiny to be changed is for somebody from the outside to come in and reach down. Sometimes you feel like a coin in a coin funnel, spiraling, and you have no power to control your own direction. You're spinning, it's dizzying, you recognize your limitations and your inabilities, you're powerless. Is there a hand that's strong enough? Is there one who can reach in from the outside, from outside the madness of the funnel? The crown means that there is. The crown means that the, the fatal funnel does not end in a dark bucket. But one comes from the outside who is strong enough to reach down and pull you out of the maddening cycle. If you actually believe that there is a, a force and a power that stands above everything else and that that power is found in the crucified and risen Jesus, if you, if you have that belief and that reality, you live your life differently. No longer are you subject to the, the madness of the funnel, but if you believe that there is that powerful reality over all things, you neither obsess nor despair but you live in a confident hope. You live differently. We've been watching the horror of this group ISIS in Iraq and in Syria. And really it's nothing new. This has been happening for uh, throughout the world's history, uh, brutality and uh, these horrific shows of, of violence. And as this unfolds, we get a glimpse of what life was like for the earliest Christians. They were a fringe and persecuted minority, uh, subject to the wrath of the Jewish religious establishment and the Roman Empire at the same time, and were subject to this kind of uh, torture. To claim that Jesus was the, the king of the universe was, was a, a dangerous thing to say, and many Christians died because of that. And in the book of Re Revelation, which we read from just a little while ago, one of the underlying questions of that entire book, as John writes to, to the first century Christians, one of the underlying questions is this. How do I follow Jesus when it seems like he's not in control? Uh, more persecution than we could imagine. His first, John's first readers of the book of Revelation are, are wondering, how can I follow Jesus when it seems like he's powerless? In short, succinctly, just to, to answer that question shortly, John's answer 
throughout the whole book is a vivid picture of a king so that in the midst of persecution and suffering, he lifts up this picture of a reality that exists at the same time, that there is a king, a warrior who has come, and you can't stop him, uh, a hero who is raised up, a king who stands against the infantry of hell and wins out, a royal king who wears a crown and crushes all forces of evil. And led by that one hope, these first Christians hang on to that in the midst of shameful persecution. And at the very end of the book of Revelation, it's almost the last words of all of Scripture, the end of the book, the last few words are this. Come, Lord Jesus. Last words of the Bible, last words of the book of Revelation. It's the final word. And Christians have been saying and praying these words for 2,000 years. Lord Jesus, come quickly. It's the last word that they could say. It's their final hope, their final trust in the midst of powerless situations that you would just say, Lord Jesus, come quickly. As pastors, we get a, a peek into a lot of different people's lives. It's kind of a unique vantage point to see all kinds of different lives and all kinds of situations where, where we are left powerless. And there are days when I come home and I say to myself, I, there is nothing I can do to change this situation. This situation needs more help than I could ever give. And on those days, when I feel powerless to change a situation, I literally write those things down on a pad of paper. I write a list of all of those things, maybe from my personal life or from the life I've seen throughout the week. I write down these things that I cannot, I don't have the power to change. I write them down. And then one by one, I pray this petition in relation to each of these things. To the wife and the mother who has cancer, might leave her family behind. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come right now. Don't wait. To kids who are growing up, our kids are growing up in a complex and dangerous world. Lord Jesus, come now. Come quickly. To my family, Family members who are distant from you, Lord. You said I could call you, and you said you would answer when I called you, so come, and come quickly. To our city, segregated and and suffering, tense, misunderstanding between peoples. Everything we see on the news, Lord Jesus, come quickly. No one else has the power to mend this. No, No one else can do this. We've been working on it for decades, and we still haven't figured it out. For a young man with no hope or purpose who wonders if he can go on. Come, come, Lord. Come right now. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Before today is over, I want you to take a pad of paper and to write your list of things that you are powerless to control. Write down it. You might, you might use a stack of paper, possibly. If you're a real geek, you'll use an Excel spreadsheet and you'll just list them all the way down because you might have that many things. Where, where in your life are you powerless to change a situation? Who or what is beyond your control and you can't change it? Write a list. Write it down. Point by point, thing by thing, a whole list. And then as you work with that list this week, pray this petition for each of these things. Lord Jesus, come quickly. Take your list and call on the crown, on the king, to come 
and pray this prayer as many have prayed before you. Lord Jesus, come. Thank you again for listening to the sermon from Christ Memorial. If you happen to be in St. Louis or live in St. Louis, we would love to meet you and have you join us for worship on Sunday. We are located in South County, St. Louis at 5252 South Lindbergh. We also have a city site called Reliant that is located on the St. Louis University Medical Campus in Crave Coffee House. You can find all of our worship times and information at cmstl.org or reliantchurch.org. Hope you have a good day, and remember, you are loved by God deeply through His Son, Jesus Christ, and you are sent with great purpose wherever you go. Have a good day.